0: Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, let's all hear God's holy word. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, To the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, and of the king's seed, and of the princes' children, in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Mishach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart, that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And God will add his blessing to that word for his name's sake. Bow with me for a moment, please. Let's ask God to come and have a word in season for us. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, all things are naked and open unto thee with whom we have to do. Thou art the searcher of men's hearts. Thou dost know where we are in our life, in this journey between here and eternity. And Lord, we ask in that perfect knowledge thou hast of us, not only of our past and our present, but of our future, that thou wilt come by thy Spirit and through thy truth and preach as only thou canst preach to all that are gathered in. May it be a time when the hearts of all are opened, the eyes of our understanding are enlightened by the Holy Spirit, And we sense that Jesus Christ draws very near to us, challenging us where we need to be challenged, rebuking us where we need rebuke, encouraging us and comforting us, doing all that is necessary for life and godliness. It's in his name that we pray. Amen and amen. I want to speak for a little bit this morning about a certain aspect of living a life for God from the life of Daniel. And to introduce this young Daniel to you this morning, I want to use the situation of another young believer who lived hundreds of years after Daniel had gone home to be with God. That young man's name is Timothy. Life is about to change for Timothy, just as life had changed for young Daniel. Timothy's spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, and his dear mentor will soon be put to death for the gospel. Paul was going to be beheaded. No longer will he be there to, as he had done for years, to exhort Timothy to comfort him, to allay his fears, because you know that Timothy was often quite fearful. Paul would no longer be there to nurture his son in the faith. Paul has also been really declared that the passing of time would bring, as it always does, a time of great change in the church. Paul tells Timothy this is the early church now. Paul tells Timothy that the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. He tells Timothy that evil seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and and being deceived. Therefore, it was going to be a time of tremendous transition in the life of Timothy. A time when he would see many being duped by the devil. The very things that Paul had told him would happen, he would see in his day happen. Many would leave the church, no longer following Christ. Professed to be followers, but they would leave. And that was why Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, you know the text well, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned knowing who taught you these things, Timothy. I taught you these things. It would be as Timothy continued, continued, carried on in the same doctrines he got from Paul, the same example of life that Paul lived before him, that he would, Timothy would be able, in spite of all the changes that he was going to see, He would remain true and faithful to Christ, the one who never changes. One thing is certain in this life. Satan continues 24-7 to try to change God's people. Not to change them into the image of Christ, but to change them into the image of the world. That's what he's always after. He pushes continually for a change for evil. He wants the faithful gospel preacher to change his doctrine. Alter it. Because he knows what happens when you begin to change the truth. Calamity, confusion, follow. He wants the church of God to change its stand upon the gospel truth. He wants the people of God to change so that they will give more and more room in their hearts, in their homes, in their thinking to the world. He's always after that. He's good at it. You're seeing this. Lived out before you, because the world has come in like a flood into the church. Things that would not have been countenanced twenty years ago are now accepted easily. Positions and stands and, and and standards that the church has known for centuries have been cast aside. How the devil loves change! And he skillfully uses these things to bring a backward change in the life of the church. So there's this always, this constant need for the Lord's people to continue on in the things they have learned. Daniel, well, he was another believer who had to deal with all kinds of change. I know you know his story. As a young man, somewhere the scholars say in his late teens we're dealing with a teenager. He was uprooted from his homeland when Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. It was a time of tremendous upheaval. He was living in a completely new country, new surroundings. And he was surrounded by people who were aside from his own kinsman, complete transition for Daniel. But through it all, Daniel, and you've read the prophecy, you know it well, he continued in the things he had learned and had been assured of all those years till he was an old man and died. Here was a young believer transported into a whole new world. A world that was permeated with corruption and immorality. Paganism surrounded him. Idolatry was rife. And even his name was changed to reflect a Babylonian God. His name Daniel, God is judge, Belteshazzar. Furthermore, he was exalted to a place of tremendous power. In Babylon, and nearly all of his life, this young man till he was an old man was in the public eye. Everything in his experience and circumstances were uniquely geared to lead him away from the Lord. It's hard to handle that, you know. Power, position, wealth, influence. He was just a teenager. It's hard for older, mature Christians who've been walking with the Lord for a long time to handle such stuff. Like But for 70 years, Daniel maintained a godly life and triumphed over it all. The question is this for us all. How did he do that? How did he do that? It seems like, does it not, that it just takes having what you have heard the expression of bad hair day. It just seems that little thing can throw us off. You know Something so minor and we just take a dive? How did he do it? Pagan land. Idolatry. All the temptations. How did Daniel, in the face of such changes, temptations, allurements, and outlandish immorality that he saw all around him, how did he continue in the things that he learned? For a few moments, I want to give a few highlights from Daniel's life to show how he clearly went on with God. So it's really about staying true to your convictions no matter what that this message is about. Staying true to your convictions no matter what. In verse 8, you have the first glimpse into the soul of Daniel. He purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So in the first thing we see here was Daniel was a young man with a great purpose. That's true that in verse 4 he was... No he had no blemish, no well favored skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge, and understanding science and such as had ability to them to stand in the king 's palace. That is a picture of Daniel and his natural abilities that even uh, the, the man over the head of the eunuch could see this, this guy 's sharp, he stands head and shoulders that 's who the king was looking for but but it 's here in verse eight that we get a little insight into what made Daniel who he was, and indeed it was a key ingredient into this spiritual constancy of 70 years of his life. He had a great purpose. The Hebrew word purpose, he purposed in his heart, means he fixed it. His heart was fixed. Mine was made up about something. What was it? It was about the law of his God. Right? The law of the Lord. I'm not going to transgress the law of the Lord for Nebuchadnezzar or anybody else. Doesn't matter what they say, what they think. Doesn't matter the consequences. As you know, the life of Daniel, (laughs) they got very serious when he said, I'm not going to go against the law of the Lord. He was willing to die for that. He's just a guy in his late teens. He was not going to compromise his own convictions concerning the law of the Lord. You see, I mean, it's lying on the surface, but don't pass it by. Daniel had convictions. He had real convictions about right and wrong, about what pleases God and what displeases God. And those convictions were based not upon a whim, not because mom and dad said so, Because he knew that's what the law of God taught. Daniel was a man who knew, a young man who knew the law of the Lord. And any, you know, real true convictions must be grounded upon the law of the Lord. Because if they are just whims with you, and that's how you think it ought to be, I'll tell you what, it'll be very easy to change those convictions when a challenge comes. If they're not really convictions, if you're not really convinced that this is right or that this is wrong, that this pleases God, that this this displeases Him, then you won't have sound, solid convictions that will keep you straight when everything else and everyone else is changing around you. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to fatten these hebrew children so they could serve in his royal court what's that all about well you know they had been besieged by babylon for months on end and there was no food in the place they were like skin and bones you know a holocaust victim you've seen them these these people had no food very weak so he wants to fatten them up And so he tells the servants to give them food from his table for three years. But Daniel, along with his three friends, refused to do so. Why did they refuse to do so? Because it was in the law of the Lord that there were certain diets that God was going to distinguish his people on many levels, and one of them was what they ate. Well, you say that sounds silly. Well, you don't want to charge God with being silly, do you? Their diet. The the pagans, they can eat the unclean, but you are not to eat unclean. And here's the list of unclean animals. Don't touch them. And if it's been offered to an idol, don't eat it. And Daniel knew that was the law of the Lord. And uh, I want you to appreciate this. 18, 19 years old. He hasn't had a good solid meal in months and months. And now there's food that can come from the king's table. That took some resolve, I tell you. You try to go on a diet, lose weight. (laughs) If you've ever done it, it doesn't take very much when you're I'm so hungry, and they open the fridge up. i got to have that. He wouldn't do it. Why? His mind was made up. It was fixed. I think that's one of the major reasons why you have Christians just so easily flip-flopping, because they have not fixed it in their hearts and minds. I am going to follow the Lord's Word. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about that. It doesn't matter the repercussions. I'm going to follow the word of God. I am here to please him. The last thing a child of God wants to do who's walking with the Lord is to displease the Lord. You don't want to do that in your heart. Even when you know you do it, it grieves you. And you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't want. You know my heart. You know I don't want to displease you. I want to please you. Purpose of heart. This young man had it. And the king of Babylon, as mighty as he was, and the circumstances he was in was not going to budge him from that position. It appears, since these four weren't the only Jews in the land, that there were others among his own people who didn't follow that. They ate from the king's table. These four would not. Others that did. But Daniel, it didn't make any difference if other believers did it. He wasn't going to. He was sticking with what he knew the law of the Lord taught. You see, there's a there's a difference between having convictions and then having the courage of your convictions. That, uh, that's a separating point. You can have convictions and they can be grounded in the word of God, but... It comes to the point of time where you must have the courage of your convictions when you're put to the crunch. Am I going to do this or am I going to not do this? Courage. You see it again when the king, for all of his exalted wisdom, was tricked into issuing a decree that all must pray to him. If you don't, you're going to die. Imagine that. You, got to, you pray to me, he says, or you're going to die. Well, Daniel, chapter 6. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. He didn't change anything. He just kept on knowing that, okay, it says it's going to happen. I might lose my life, but I'm not going to stop. I'm fixed. I'm to seek God. When Belshazzar Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall, Mene, Mene, Tekael, Daniel didn't hesitate to tell him for one moment what it meant. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. So whether Daniel was standing before Nebuchadnezzar, or Jeremiah before King Zedekiah, or Paul before King Agrippa, the people of God that the Lord has used most are those who have remained true to their convictions, to the things they have learned about God. They have continued on with that. I, I know from scripture that the closer we get to the Lord's return, the church is going to see more and more of God's people with a love that is waxed cold. That's the answer that Christ gave to his own apostles, which would be the sign of like, a return in the end time. Because lawlessness, iniquity, word is lawlessness really, the lawlessness shall abound, the love of, it reads in the Greek, the love of the many shall wax cold. That's God's people. You have to have a love to be able to grow cold in the first place. So that's Christians he's talking about. Love will grow cold. It'll be a clear sign of last days. That the love of many of God's people will grow cold. Many of God's people, as things wax worse and worse, shall lose their appetite for sound doctrine. They would rather be entertained and told funny stories and made to laugh and feel good. It just now reminds me of my first time after moving to Columbia from Orlando. We were meeting in a little strip mall and a good little gathering. The visitor walks in, who'd been invited by one of the folk in the church, and he came for the morning service and sat and he didn't come back again. And the fellow who invited him said, Why didn't you come back? He said, Well, I didn't get a warm and fuzzy that morning. He came looking for a warm and fuzzy. such a time as that there are those in the church who would wittingly or unwittingly lead you away from what you have learned and been assured of and that's exactly why if we're going to carry on to the day we die we must make it our Daniel's purpose our purpose we're just fixed it doesn't matter what anyone else does and this is where we're standing that's what Luther said here I stand I can do now. that's it What about you? It's one thing to sit in church with people of like precious faith. It's something else when you go out there in that world and there's the attempt to get you to compromise your convictions. What do you do? You just keep true. Hold on. They can laugh at you, mock you all they want. Other Christians can say, oh, you're an old fuddy-duddy. I don't really care. Your opinion of my stand doesn't make any difference to me because there's one I am aiming to please and that's my Lord. So many young teenagers like this age of Daniel, they're in bondage to coolness. Whatever the present day term is, I'm not in the millennial crowd, but you know what I mean. It's cool. And if you're not cool, you're an outcast. You're odd. You're strange. Isn't that sad when Christians don't want to be viewed as different than the world? It's not just because there are standards. It's because here's the law of the Lord, and, and I want to please the Lord. And that's going to make you very strange. Odd. It's when you're doing that, you're going to just continue on with the Lord. Your heart's fixed. I, I want you to note that Daniel, was, it says he was purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. In other words, the heart, this, this, this determination was actually in his affections. It had to do with his affections. It wasn't just mental understanding. You know, I'm a, I'm a believer and I'm going to stand separated from the world and all that. You can have all that. Listen, there's plenty of legalistic, cold-hearted, separatist Christians out there. Plenty of them. I'm not interested in that. It's a plague. That's not Daniel. That separation from Babylon, that separation from idolatry, was because in his heart there was a genuine love for the Lord. It was based in his affections, not just his head. You see, brothers and sisters, the greatest stabilizing factor in your life from the human standpoint is heart love for the Lord. It's the love of Christ that constrains me. That's what Paul said. That love that he had for him just engendered in Paul's heart. I love him and I don't want to grieve him. Coldness of heart is a sure pathway to changing your convictions. That's what happens. Secondly, Daniel was a man with great prudence. Not only a great purpose, but great prudence. We already saw in verse 4, he was skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge. Daniel was a sharp cookie. Smart guy. God had given him a great mind. But you find that Daniel had another kind of wisdom that was not earthly, but that was from above. I say that because in verse 17, in reference to Daniel and his three friends, that God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. This was not, you know, wasn't from birth. I just got this high IQ. God gave this particular wisdom to him, this prudence. In chapter 2, we read that when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream which none of his own wise men could interpret, Daniel steps into the scene and he was able to give the interpretation and here's exactly what he says why he could do it. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom. The Lord gave it to him. Wisdom is about how to live life. You can be book smart and be foolish because if you don't know how to live life, you're living the life of a fool. And that wisdom comes from the Lord. You don't get it from a book. It's not just passed on down word of mouth. It comes from the Lord. And, and, I, and I say this because there's, there's a little verse in Ezekiel 28 that shows you that Daniel must have had tremendous wisdom given him by God In in that chapter, Jehovah is condemning the king of Tyre for making himself to be God and taking credit for all the land he had conquered. So in verse 3 of chapter 28 of Ezekiel, the Lord describes what this king thought of himself with these words. And it's done with, with mocking. He's talking to the king and he's really mocking him. He says, Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. Did you catch that? He didn't say, thou art wiser than Solomon. He said, thou art wiser than Daniel. Daniel must have been very wise. I found over the years... When young people go off to college, teenagers, there's always a danger of being swallowed up in a spirit that glories in scholarship, that glories in academics. They aspire for more knowledge in order to be viewed, I'm afraid, as intelligent, as intellectuals, as academics, as even philosophical. Now I don't for one moment despise academics. Uh, God gives to his church as he did in Israel of old via Daniel. He gives Christians with great intellects. Christians who can stand toe to toe with the intellects of this world. Christians who don't emanate a spirit that says spirituality and intelligence are enemies but all the learning in the world all of the intelligence, all of the doctrines that man has to offer are not going to keep the child of God constant with the Lord standing by his convictions no matter what You know, folks, there have been plenty of unlearned, uneducated Christians that were giants when it came to standing upon the ground of the truth. And they would put the scholars to shame in how they lived their lives for God. You're going to need this wisdom that only the Lord gives To continue in the things you've learned, it takes discernment. You know, there are things that are, I hope I don't alarm you by this and you don't think I'm preaching heresy. If you do, you'll get over it. Everything's not black and white. I used to think that. It's all black and white, there's a lot of gray. A lot of gray. And it's going to take discernment. You'll have to have wisdom from God. Where you can come to a point, you know, this is what I believe is right, or this is what I believe is wrong. You and I may differ. I can guarantee you right now, if we sat down after the service, okay, give me your list of what's Acceptable for Christians' behavior, I'll guarantee you our list would not agree. Promise you that. There's going to be differences. Always have been, always will be. But we ourselves, if you're going to come to convictions based upon the Word of God, you're going to need discernment to be able to do that. And that comes from the Lord. You won't get it from a, a book. You won't get it from a sermon. It's wisdom that God gives. The Holy Ghost gives. Enlightens your understanding that you might get it and continue in the things you've learned. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And through that wisdom we... We are enabled to separate the precious from the vile. To discern if this is an issue of indifference or it's an issue of being a sin. Wish I had more time, but that was a problem in the church at Rome. There were Certain Jews in the church, believing Jews who were calling things that were matters of indifference, that's sin. And it wasn't sin. It wasn't. And of course, the libertines on the other side were calling the Jews legalists. The age old problem doesn't go away. But you need discernment, you get that from God. And that's where Daniel got it. So the third thing about Daniel that kept him, sticking by his convictions no matter what happened, Daniel was a man of great prayer. Of course, you, did you all learn that? Of course, as children, Daniel was a man of prayer daily. He prayed three times, even when, the, even when they had him cast in a den of lions. Nebuchadnezzar can't find anyone to interpret his dream. And so he issues that stupid decree in Babylon that every prophet, every wise man is going to be slain if they can't come up with the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't too bright. Foolish. So upon hearing this news, this law... Daniel goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he knows they are wise men in, in that city in Babylon. And he exhorts them to pray that God would give him mercy to be able to interpret the dream. He's already in a difficult situation and we see that when he's there, what does he do? He takes it to the Lord in prayer. He prays. That is his Immediate response to it. we have got to pray about this. I've already mentioned in chapter 6 where he goes to his chamber where his windows are open and he prays, gets on his knees and prays three times a day as he's always done. He didn't try to hide it and Daniel was known as a man of prayer. And they knew even the, the, those princes in, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, they knew if they were going to catch him, it would be there in a the matter of prayer. He was widely known. This guy prays. <laughs> Three times, like a clockwork. His window's open, and you can hear him praying to his God. He had that reputation. It would be wonderful if this could be said of you and me. If there was one place the enemies knew they could attack us, it was about our prayer life. He's a man of prayer. She's a woman of prayer. If we're going to continue in the things we've learned and been assured of, in spite of all the changes that providence brings into our lives, then we must continue in prayer. And it's not going to be enough to simply come to church three times a week. That won't do. Having family devotions, as important and vital as that is, that's not going to do. Praying in the midweek prayer meeting is not going to do. You must continue on in personal prayer if you're going to continue on in your convictions no matter what. Don't make the mistake of so many in thinking that these things church, prayer meetings, all that will do. Don't make the mistake as is so common that you've got too much to do in the day, you've got too many errands to run You've got too tight a schedule, therefore you can leave out your time of prayer or you can quickly rush through it. You can't. To this day, I remember Mr. Cairns in the theological hall when training us as ministers. He said this, what you are in prayer, you are. I have never forgotten it. What Christ told Mary is still true. Or actually what he told Martha about her sister Mary. One thing is needful. There's a little book. If you ever come across it, you ought to pick it up. The Tyranny of the Urgent. It's called. A little booklet. The Tyranny of the Urgent. You know what I mean? How the urgent is a tyrant. I've just got to get this done. I can't let this go it's got to be done now it's calling for me I've got to do it and so that becomes the tyrant that actually shuts you out from the throne of grace it is your life of prayer that will determine whether or not you'll be able to rejoice in the Lord when there's nothing in your circumstances to rejoice in it's your communion with Christ that will give you the peace of mind that passes all understanding and that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus that's it it will be through a life a life of prayer that you will have a godly influence on your family listen I've got a broad spectrum here of ages. But your kids see your faults. And don't be shocked. They're there. But you want your kids to be able to say, my dad prays. My mom prays. They know you're in touch with God. And for all the warts that they see in your life, they'll come to you and say, Dad, will you pray for this? Mom, I need you to pray about this. Don't minimize a life of prayer. That was Daniel. To lose out with the God in the place of prayer is to lose out altogether. Oh, you may prosper at your job because you put on all the hours. You may be well liked by many. You may be active in all kinds of church activities, but it will all mean nothing if you have allowed your prayer life to grow dormant and cold. Guard it with deep jealousy. You must look upon anything, anything or anyone that would take you away from that place of prayer as an enemy to your own spiritual growth. You have to. One final point. Daniel was a man who was greatly prized three times in Daniel 9 and twice in Daniel 10 Daniel was described as a man greatly beloved if you have a marginal reading in those passages it reads a man of desires in other words Daniel was a man for whom God had great longings who had great desires he was highly prized by God and that's why They translated it greatly beloved. You know folks at the end of the day it's that fact. It's that fact right there. That's the secret to it all. Daniel lived in the reality that Jehovah prized him. That Jehovah loved him. Daniel knew his own faults and failings his sins. His carnalities. He had them. Listen, folks, if Paul could talk about his own faults and failings and carnalities in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul could talk about it. The things I would, I I would not, things I would not, those I do. Listen, if Paul can, I can guarantee you that Daniel had the same issues because there's nothing new under the sun. He knew all about them. But he also knew that Jehovah was a God of mercy. God who looked beyond all of his sin and saw his needs. He loved Daniel. Daniel knew it. His mom and dad were no longer around. His siblings, if they were still alive, were no longer seen. He was, as far as his own family was concerned, very, very much alone. But there is one truth that Daniel clung on to through it all. The Lord loves me. He prizes me. I am a delight to him. You thought about yourself like that. But the Lord delights in you. He delights in you so much that he would send his only begotten son to become sin. Not a sinner, but become sin. He would choose you over his son. Don't you see? There's the exchange that took place. How do you go on without changing your own convictions as the world screams at you to be like me? As a social media... We we don't have a TV in our home, so I was interested in the Olympics in the hotel room. And I I was shocked at the commercials. I was sharing this with someone recently and the shock at the commercials that are now on television how are we going to stay true if we are not convinced the Lord Jehovah loves me he's always going to keep loving me even when I'm cold and careless he won't be When you find yourself in the midst of change and upheaval, in the midst of Satan's temptations to destroy you, to get you to change, you must remember you're greatly beloved of God. My saying that doesn't make you feel that, but feel it, you must. It's only the Holy Spirit that can bring that to pass. Not just here, but a love that grips the soul. In light of that, brothers and sisters, you just continue on and the things you've learned. There's nothing else for it. May God write his word on our souls for his name's sake. let bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, in Christ's name, we come now to the throne at the end of the preaching of this sermon and ask that the Holy Ghost would preach on that while the voice of thy servant must be silent as far as this message goes, thy word will Ring on and on and on. May this be a day we look back upon and say, the Lord spoke to me. I know what I need to be and I know what I need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.